I think the resistance sometimes is the ground itself, just this constant roar and murmur. We don't even know what's important to listen to. We don't know what counts. Most of us have two lives. The life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance. Featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about that explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. Hello and welcome back to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor. And my name is Jay Kirkpatrick. Jay, today is a special episode. <laughs> He's... Jay, my friend here, has been waiting a long time for this because a little while back, I had the opportunity to speak with a wonderful poet by the name of Lee Young Lee, who just happens to be your favorite. He is my favorite. Um, I don't think I have another artist to call a poet, writer, musician that I, I want to say fanboy. <laughs> I've met many famous people. I mean, Lee Young Lee, I've never met him, but he is one of my favorite artists of all time. And um, I was introduced to his poetry way back uh, with The City in Which I Love You, which blew my mind. Up to that, it'd been like the lim- limerky, went to the bed and hit my head, you know, kind of like the, the, the rhyming <laughs> rhyme. And this was the first time he really, uh, he opened me up. I guess, artistically and emotionally in a way I had never, never been opened up. And this conversation that you had with him today is amazing. It, Matt, this conversation was amazing. Well, I'm, I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> I had very little to do with it. You know, one of the things we appreciated so much about it, Lee, you know, we're talking about the resistance and typically with an artist of some kind, we end up talking about like one angle of the resistance. Like this is what they're going through right now. But with Lee Young, he ends up talking so much about several layers of resistance as he thinks of them in the moment, and you're able to listen to the poet in process. Yeah, he talks about different types of resistance. You know, he talks about the process of an electron jumping from orbit, one orbit to another, takes an immense amount of energy, and sometimes the resistance is that energy to jump into another plane that we've never been in. He talks about creating a silence as a ground within your art so that, you know, he talks about in poetry, but so the poem could actually stand above and be, uh, and, and, and it's, and actually be seen, I guess, uh, differentially and elevated because of the silence and the ground you've created within the art. So a twofold kind of struggle. And then he talks about, which I think this is really impactful. Um, the Israelites, as they left, uh, in numbers as they left to go to the promised land and they actually, the resistance was leaving their paradigms and leaving um, their way of thinking so that they their resistance was against a better future because they wouldn't leave those things. And I think that is, it was one of the things that hit me the most. I don't know what was the most impactful part for you, Matt, but that leaving what you be- know and your paradigms so that you can have a better future, I thought was one of the big points of this conversation. Yeah, but I think what is so striking to me with that especially is is that any fear I've ever had, I'm, I'm speaking generally here, but if you follow that fear to its logical end, like, okay, what if this did really happen? This thing that I'm so afraid of, I often find that I'm able to 
disempower it. I don't even know if that's a word, but, but I'm able to like limit its hold on me by going all the way there and realizing it's not, it's it, like the resistance isn't as big as I'm allowing it to be. It, it, or I'm allowing it to be bigger than it really is, is what I'm trying to say. So Lee Young Lee goes into that and so much more, and we're just anxious for you to hear it. So let's dive in. Um, if you've never read or heard the poet Lee Young Lee before, here's your chance. And we certainly encourage you to look him up after this. Here's our conversation. We have source material that inspired the name of the podcast and the subject from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. And in it, He says this, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Lee Young, I'm curious for you, what what form does resistance take at at this point? You know, it's complicated because I've been wondering about the nature of resistance, especially in writing a poem, uh, that is the urge to speak fully you know, from the center of our entire being and what resistances there are to that. And I sometimes think, I'm not sure, the resistance I think is necessary because some of the, uh, I think of it as like an electron jumping in atomic orbit. You know, I know that an electron, I don't don't know that much about science, but I remember that for an electron to jump an, an atomic orbit and become something else, it has to be bombarded with incredible an incredible amount of energy. That resistance, maybe sometimes it's just, uh, we need that. The poem has to kind of jump in orbit or, or our psyches or mind or something has to be bombarded with so much energy that you speak or you, you, know, you write a poem down. And I, I, I was wondering, the threshold is a kind of, it could be used to describe that, right? Between Sure. Sure, very much so. Yeah, and a, a wilderness experience too, right? Uh, the idea of, let's say, in fairy tales, the heroine or the hero gets lost in the woods, and then he or she is trying to get to, you know, the land of the living water or the talking bird, whatever. They're trying to get to that place, and they're trying to get to their kingdom, but they run into all these distractions and, uh, I guess, forms of resistance. But if fairy tales have any wisdom in them, they seem to imply that that resistance is uh, necessary. I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same kind of thing that uh, Pressfield was talking about. So, uh, I think part of that is the beauty of what Pressfield maybe is, is doing, is trying to put l- such general language around it that we're each maybe just prompted to do the work to try to identify what resistance is at work and and maybe what is a healthy resistance, a necessary resistance, and what is unhealthy, the one we need to discard, the one we need to contend with, etc. So all, there are all forms and there are, there are, for instance, there's just laziness, right? You sure. get to the table to write the thing and then there's insecurities and then there's uh, paradigms, old paradigms of reality that aren't working for us, right? I think sometimes in the making of poetry, it's a very specific kind of confusion because a good poem or successful poem has to create its own silence in order for the words to be heard. It has to create a kind of liftoff from the ground so that the figure of the poem stands in higher relief to the ground. And sometimes, you know, there's a kind of murmuring in the world. I think it comes from the natural world of the ocean, wind, birds, 
breezes in the grass, you know, just natural sounds constantly there. And then on top of that, the human-made things, you know, all the social media, news, television, computers. I feel as if we live in a condition of a constant murmuring or, or even roar that is in the background. And for us to make art or to make a poem, it, we necessarily have to create a kind of silence that makes a place within that roar, that constant murmuring. That silence has to be made within which the poem can be heard. So the poem, it's a twofold project, and you have to create the silence in which is heard. Then you have to create the poem, which is a part of that silence. But then I think the resistance sometimes is the ground itself, just this constant roar and murmur. We don't even know what's important to listen to. We don't know what counts, and especially in poetry, we count so radically, you know, we count words, we count lines, we count stanzas, we count pauses, we count just the counting is crazy, you know, and it seems to me that that's a way to finally arrive at what counts at all in the world. Hmm. That counting, maybe some of the resistance for a poet is we don't know what counts, we don't know what's worth mentioning. So there's this constant roar of just information coming from the, the natural world, the atomic world, even, I mean, if you do meditation long enough, you start to hear your own nervous system. There's a constant high-pitched whining that the nervous system does. So there's this this noise. I think that, that can be very distracting. But at the same time, I feel like we're writing against that noise so that the poem has to be really strong to make it over the hurdle uh, or uh, so that the poem can be heard uh, within the context of the reader's mind, which is probably a very noisy place. So a lot of that resistance is noise, and then a lot of it is, uh, I think, a kind of necessary... I mean, it's something I know personally, there's something inside of me that says, well, why speak at all? You know, just be quiet. You better really have something to say in, in order to write a poem. And that itself becomes a resistance to speech a resistance to the word of, of, of uh, speaking words. And I don't know whether that's uh, that's healthy or not. And who I, I can't tell what's healthy resistance, Matt, and what, what, what isn't, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking a lot about the book of Numbers, you know, in the, in the Old Testament. And it's all about resistance, you know, the whole wilderness experience of uh, an entire people, you know, the children of Israel. A lot of that resistance is they're resisting uh, a better future. Uh, it's because of fear. It's because of old paradigms, old habits, old thought habits that they're unwilling to give up. And and maybe sacred texts like the Old Testament or the New Testament or anything, Bhagavad Gita, all these sacred texts, they depict the trajectory of uh, a conscious evolution of a, a human being, you know, and maybe they all depict resistances. You know, that that's the better part of the story. We resist our higher selves. We resist the urge to want to love more, to love better with more uh, awareness and the worser angels of our nature take over. And so, man, we are just, sure. uh, we're under siege, I think, constantly, the more I think about it. <laughs> this threshold experience is, is bloody. It's like a really bloody scrimmage before you get to the other side and meet the beloved. Mm. And then there's lack of faith too, right? I mean, for me, for instance, in my writing, uh, the paradigm of the lover and the beloved is really important. That, to me, is like a paradigm for reading uh, altogether. You know, the, the book I'm reading is a is a kind of stand-in or 
a form of a shape of the beloved, and I'm the lover reading the book and trying to appreciate it. And so even theories about love and theories about interest and perception are finally theories about reading, you know, and uh, whether or not the world is legible to us. But then to even have faith that reading can bring us any good, and uh, sometimes I don't even have faith in that, you know, so I think a lack of faith is a big deal in it. I don't know, Matt. Are we getting close to talking about this thing at all? Uh, it seems to me <laughs> no, a like, huge subject. I, it, it is a huge subject. You're right. And I mean, there's no way for us to tackle all angles of, of resistance in, you know, in all possible forms. I, th- I think that's why we try to start the subject with what form does that look like for you? Because it is just such a, an ever-changing, ever-present idea, you know, yeah. that even once we move past one thing, we find... 10 new versions of it, you know, thereafter. I I wanted to ask though, about one thing you said, it's, I mean, you were talking about the craft itself, Mm -hmm. seeming to say for you to write a poem, you have to arrive at a respite from the noise. The silence is necessary, this, this cocoon within. And it was interesting to me because I I was reading an, an earlier interview with you and I loved something that you said, where you mentioned there are connections everywhere. And everything sounds like a poem. Everything, the beginning of a poem. Mm-hmm. In one way, it sounded like you could pull poetry from the noise, that, that all of the noise itself was a poem waiting to be found. But then just now you were describing a need to silence it to get to the poem. How does that come together for you? It is everywhere. I'm looking out the window right now and I'm noticing these beautiful shadows on this house across the street. Those shadows, I feel like, just describing them would verge on a poem, just the quality of the light in the window. And there are poems everywhere, but uh, they have to be teased out, I guess. Or there, there are, I don't know what you want to call them, patterns or something in the world. It's a part of the general formlessness. Matt, this has something to do with the word, the idea of the logos. I'm sure it does, because Heraclitus defined the logos as... It was the ruling principle of manifestation, uh, of all manifestations, physical, psychological, material manifestation. He said uh, the ruling undergirding law is uh, the law of logos, you know, which he described as the strife and harmony of opposites. So that would imply that the resistance is built into it, you know, a strife and harmony of opposites. So there has to be something... You're pulling one way, but something is pulling against you, and that makes you pull harder. And so this rescuing form out of the void, out of formlessness, I think is that work is just really hard work. You know, I find it very hard work, you know. And, you know, it's interesting that the ancient Chinese, 500 years before Heraclitus, discovered what they called the Taiji principle. And they called that the dynamism of opposites. So the study of Taiji is the study of strife and harmony of uh, opposing forces, you know. And it seems to me that the minute we enter into the word, the cult of the word, I do think that people who write poetry all belong to a cult of the word. We enter into the, the laws and the, uh, the principles of language. And I think those principles of the word, of language, there's a resistance built into it somehow. The minute I point to the, a dog walking down the street, I'm not pointing to everything else around it. There's this differentiation. I think that 
I think language and poetry is more highly differentiated than other forms of language. But that kind of high level of differentiation makes it necessary for us to uh, to point to what we're naming and what we are not naming. You know, the, the thing between the dog I'm looking at and everything else around it, you know, it seems to me that that's such high relief, you know, that what we're looking at has a lot of uh, relief from the ground. I don't think the ground itself is, I think we would like sometimes, see, there's a form of resistance right there, Matt. Maybe sometimes we wish the ground of murmuring and the roar of just the ocean and cosmic winds and wind in the grass and birds chirping all day long and bees humming, all of that just background noise. We wish that was our mother's voice and we could just rest. But, but that's not the poem. You know, the poem is in there. You know, uh, it's in there somewhere, but it isn't just the uh, formless waste of a repetitious nature. You know, just all the leaves look the same, you know, on a tree. And this kind of undifferentiated, I think undifferentiated arrows is not the same as art. I think art is a more highly differentiated eros. I think some of the resistance is to differentiate. I think there is a resistance to differentiating. And uh, I can't account for it, but I, I feel the struggle to write these words as opposed to all the possible words. To write this poem as opposed to all the possible poems. I experience it as a kind of bereavement because I feel as if the world is just so full and uh, so plentiful in poems and signs and wonders and insights. And, but to close down and say, I'm not going to write all of the poems. I'm going to write this one today. Uh, I experience it as both uh, a joy because I, I, I write the poem, but at the same time, it feels like I lost, you know, out of the hundred poems, I wrote one. So there's 99 there I didn't write. And so the, the resistance doesn't come just as a feeling of uh Man, it comes in all shapes, man. It comes in the injunction to not speak, you know, to be quiet and, you know, just look at the universe and its beauty and its horror and its terror. There's nothing that needs to be said. Sometimes I'm, I'm convinced of that. And then there's that kind of resistance. Then there's the resistance of just, there's so many poems. You know, I'm watching these shadows on this house across the street change. These shadows have been changing as I'm talking. That itself could have been a poem. You know, not only a description of the shadows, but the shadows changing. I, I just feel as if, but you'd have to pick that out to tease that out of all the other things going on in the universe. You know, that you have to frame this. You have to talk about this thing as opposed to everything else. You know, everything else outside the frame doesn't exist for the duration of the work of art. I don't know, man. We're hit on all sides, this resistance thing. You know, I, I've been uh, thinking about this thought, Matt, that has troubled me recently, <laughs> that I thought my own need for plentitude is finally I'm in love with formlessness and void. I mean, to, to love everything in a way is maybe to not love anything. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, I've been thinking about that, and I thought, wow, this resistance thing is really tricky. You think you can love everything in the world because that's some sort of ideal, you know, if you, if you belong to a cult of love. I, I grew up in a cult of love, you know, Christianity, that's what that is, you know. And so there's this idea that you could love everything and everybody. And then I wonder, does that retain its differentiation or, or is it just a kind of soupy kind of miasma? You're just loving everything it amounts to nothing, right? It amounts to a kind of void. And 
I don't know. Maybe it depends on which side of the door you're standing at, what constitutes the resistance, right? You know, when you're talking about differentiation, for you, let's look at the craft. When you're choosing the one of the hundred, and you said that comes with a joy and a grief or a bereavement to that, how do you know what to differentiate? Is there an energy around the one and not around the hundred that calls to you? Is it just a matter of choosing without emotion or or energy? Um, if differentiation is such a big part of this, what does differentiation look like to you at this stage in your craft? Yeah, boy, choosing is just everything. And it's being done at such a high speed. It's before even conscious thought. You know, it's pre-conscious, I feel. But man, Matt, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, it feels like I'm choosing the thing that opens the poem up more, even as it closes it down more to, to more of a clear a cl- a clarity and insight. The more it closes in on one insight, I, I like to ch- make choices that o- keep opening the poem up to other possibilities. I don't know, man. It is tough because sometimes I, for all I know, I'm just choosing out of habit. And that becomes its own resistance. You're resisting writing the new poem, a really new poem. You you, you keep doing the same thing, maybe, but you don't even know that's the resistance. That's the that's part of the resistance. So I, I, one doesn't know one is doing that. I don't know. It does seem important to me that, that somehow art is a way to figure out what counts altogether. Sure. Because then the poem, if possible, the poem can be driven by a lot of energy, you know, a kind of almost a mission. I think a strong poem has a kind of mission to it. You can feel it inside the poem. It's uh, it's mysterious what the mission is, but there's definitely a a strong mission in in the poem. And then we get to the idea that who's writing the poem? Because if I write the poem, Matt, if I sit down and I say, I'm going to write a poem about this, this house across the street, and I try to write that poem. But let's say that that's not what the poem wants to be. You know, it wants to be something else. Then... Is that part of the resistance? Is that, or am I supposed to surrender to the impulse of the language itself? Like, who's resisting then? If I keep trying to write this poem about the house, I see. But let's say the poem wants to move toward something else, you know, and what should I yield to? I, I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing's so mysterious to me, Matt, that it seems to me <laughs> we live at the threshold. And why am I thinking of it as a threshold experience? Well, it's below consciousness, so it's liminal, right? And we're trying to get to one place to another, from one place to another. So we're crossing through this kind of area of false signals. And But there, there you go, Matt. I mean, uh, are, do you write, Matt? Are, are you a writer? Uh, I mean, mostly just journalism. Uh, yeah, I, I very rarely in any sort of creative, you know, like creative writing or, or poetry. Yeah, so false starts are you you do that too, right? In journalism and stuff. Sure. I mean, oh right? yeah. Yeah, so there are false starts and there are uh I guess that's all part of the resistance, you know. And looking back, it it seems to me that those were all necessary so that you know what a false start looks like. And I don't know. There's something else working through me, I wanna say, Matt, you know? I don't know how poems get written. I really have no <laughs> idea how they get written. Uh, that sounds funny coming from someone who, you know, has made a living writing poems yeah i don't don't know i've done it (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I really don't. Lee Young, that, that idea of um, whether you follow that energy, what if the poem doesn't want to be about the shadows on the house? Do you navigate that differently now yeah. than you did when you were first starting? You know, Matt, I don't. I am as lost today as I was when I started. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't have any good instincts. I haven't developed any. Everything I write is like from scratch. It's horrible. You, one would think that after much practice, you would get some sort of mastery. But that hasn't been the case with me. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you think therein lies the posture needed? I want to say yes, but at the same time, I, I hope I achieve some sort of mastery, you know, so that it isn't starting from ground zero every time. Yes, yeah, starting from scratch every time, but it really is. It's just starting from scratch. I don't know. I don't know. Man, man, I wish I had brighter things to say. <laughs> no, I think this is great. I, I, I mean, I even my mind went back to what you were first saying about balance and and these you know these principles that kind of we live in this tension yeah uh so even even what you were just saying about i wish i had a mastery but i'm still starting from scratch as if i was just beginning i wondered if therein lies that necessary tension that is it possible to master it in such a way that you retain the posture of someone brand new I don't know. I mean, even that sounds silly, but it makes sense in my head. Yeah. No, no, exactly. Exactly, man. I, I think that is necessary. I think it is for us to be constantly new to this, you know, and, uh, but man, you know, just inhabiting that place, uh, Carl Jung called it the mysterious conjunction, you know, right at that threshold between all the forces, uh, order and disorder, uh, chaos and speech, you know, um, uh, form and void all the gr- all the great opposites uh, all the great sages have have thought about for for years you know something and nothing uh, beingness and non-being i mean all those tensions to, to inhabit that right there to stand exactly in the middle of the fire and not go crazy and try to write a poem when that's happening it seems like that is necessary and it seems like uh, that the resistance is part of it yeah, and if you're lucky, you don't get pulled apart by the good and the evil in you, and the light and the dark in you, and the male and the female, and the puerex and the senex, and the, the child and the, the old person in us. You know, all these opposites inside of us somehow inhabiting that threshold where all these opposites lay claim to us, and, op- and allowing ourselves to be laid claim to all these things uh, have claim on us, and for us to somehow endure that and to make a poem out of it. It seems to me, uh, yeah, that it's necessary and that there's just no way out of it. But maybe Pressfield's talking about something else because he's talking about an unlived life. If we become subject to that resistance as opposed to masters of it, if we can master the resistance, we can maybe find a happy ending. Man, a happy ending is so hard to arrive at. I look around me and all these stories the people in my lives, there's, there's such, it's just so full of grief and, and uh, sad endings, you know? I don't know, man. I, yeah. I feel like happy ending must be possible, right? If we, I think that's what Pressfield must be talking about, right? Like for us to get to that life, the unlived life, not to leave huge rooms inside our mansion, like unexplored, 
yeah, there might be gardens there and orchards in, in our uh, part of our estate, our psychic estate that we, we never even discovered, you know, because we, we got too hung up on something. I don't know. I don't know, Matt. Man, I, have, I, 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 don't, I don't have a clue any way around this. It seems <laughs> huge. Hey, let me ask you. Let me ask you one more. Um, mm-hmm. I read. I read an interview with you from over a decade ago, where you were sort of crying foul the urban setting and just uh, kind of wishing for. I think less of the noise, the murmuring that we were talking about. Yet, I'm pretty sure you still live in Chicago. Is that right? You know, I, I don't. Uh, I divide my time now between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Chicago because uh, we have old people. Uh, very aged and frail people in both places. So we're shuttling back and forth, taking care of them. Okay. My mother is in Chicago. My wife's folks are in Pittsburgh. So we're shuttling back and forth. Yeah. I just wondered if you'd, if you'd come to better terms with the urban setting and, and the craft of, of writing. You know, I chose the urban setting because of the uh, more access to the culture I needed to be around. You know, it's hard to, be in a, in, a, in a rural setting in the United States and uh, find an Asian grocery store, you, you know. I, and so <laughs> I, I have to be in a city to have access to that, you know. But my real love, I, I think, is to be out in rural settings, you know. But I, I uh, it's just hard to find the culture that I need to be around. I, I get tired of the human hand. You know, you see the human hand on everything, everywhere. It, it's beautiful, you know, uh, you know, architecture and music and all that stuff. But, but sometimes I, I just get, uh, I need to find a deeper ground than the human. And that's, I think, my pull toward uh, uh, nature again, you know. But then I, I worry, uh, you know, Matt, because I think maybe lately I've been thinking, because th- thinking about this resistance thing, I've, I've been wondering whether or not my own pull to nature is like John Keese's pull toward death, a state of uh, undifferentiated plenitude. Basically, it's formless, you know, and void, and it's a kind of death. of The, the ego wants to, is tired of its, uh, its own existence and wants to be just subsumed into this larger plentitude of nature but maybe that's just formless and and my own uh wanting to be a part of the ground you know it's it's work matt to be a figure right i mean to that figure ground tension for the artist it's it's that tension seems to me to be the existential tension we experience just living trying to differentiate ourselves from the herd and from the rest of the culture and from family and to find our primacy, you know, because I think deep down we all feel we're all just uh, like I'm a version of my mother, I'm a version of my father, I'm a version of my siblings, I'm a version of my friends, I'm a version of an Asian American male of, of a certain age, I'm a version of a person alive in the 21st century living in the United States. So th- there are all these aspects of my identity that are just versions of others you know and i think we we're hungry for uh, we need to experience some primacy uh, something in us that is not like our family our our class our gender our like even my chinese name right if i introduced myself in china it would be li li young i would first tell you my family name so you know where my family comes from and then the li that precedes the word young is tells you my generation 
And the last thing I am is the young part, which is the individual. And so I tell you my family. I tell you what generation I'm from. So I'm part of a, a version, again, of, of other things. And to emerge out of the ground of that is really hard work, I think, in Asian families, you know, maybe in all families. But there it is, again, that differentiating from the ground, the figure from the ground. is So that's just hard work. I think it's part of being alive. And uh, then when you make art, you're trying to differentiate it on another level, I think. And that, that uh, poses other challenges that are, that are similar, you know, to the existential challenge of trying not to get lost in this world of plenitude. You've been listening to The Resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.